again, Psalm 133. Behold how good and pleasant it is that brothers It is like the precious oil on the head, running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. This is God's word. Amen. Thanks so much, Susan. You can have a seat. So uh, four sentences and a simple idea, right? True community. It's good. It's pleasant. We like it. It's helpful in life. Two beautiful images, which are totally foreign to us and each other. There's a good chance your family does not have multiple brothers who can be together in unity. There are fewer of us who've been to Mount Zion, on which Jerusalem dwells, even fewer who have visited the so-called Mount Hermon. Not many of us have beards here this morning, right? Even fewer of us have poured oil all over ourselves, even less while fully clothed, right? So (laughs) this foreign imagery is indeed strange for those of us who are 21st century Californians, but let's not miss the obvious connection between these seemingly random images of running oil and falling dew. And that is that each descends from above. Our psalmist is trying to tell us that attractive, selfless, life-giving community descends on us from above, from the eternal community of God himself. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. That is where life-giving community truly comes from. And that's going to be our message in a nutshell this morning. If you remember nothing else, remember this, a message in a short little nutshell. Seek life in community that comes from above. I want to encourage you to seek life that comes from community from above. This is the central thesis that, that, to which I hope you are persuaded this morning, to which our psalmist is saying, be persuaded. This is where you're going to find true life, in this community that comes from above. If this is your first time with us this morning, this Sunday, uh, this, sorry, this summer we've been engaged in a, in a, in a series of messages called Songs to Carry On. Every Sunday we've been talking about this. If you've ever driven on a, on a long road trip from one place to another, you know just how important it is to have a good album, a good CD, a good playlist so that you can carry on with your journey, right? Music is very important to help you and everyone around you carry on from one place to another to get there in one piece, not having hurt each other along the way. That's why we're spending this summer going through these Psalms of Ascent, the Old Testament Psalms of Ascent, which are these sung prayers designed to help people who are struggling through transitions, struggling through getting from one place to another in life. These Psalms were Israel's best of playlist, if you will, for a journey that they would take three times a year, at least three times a year, up to Jerusalem. Each Psalm can help and hopefully has helped you and I navigate through transitions in life. It can be a simple transition like we're going through right now over Labor Day weekend from summer to fall season. It could be a normal transition in life like a, like a new job, a new relationship, and just, just navigating that. The multi-level transition of life post-pandemic where you're trying to get new rhythms started. Others have kind of gone dormant in your life. And it's actually life post-pandemic I want to touch on for a moment this morning because I think it has a lot to do with relationships. And I get 
that addressing the pandemic is, is about as welcome as talking about life insurance, uh, a living will, a regular prostate exam. It's like, you know, probably need to talk about it, but why now? Really? Like, you're going to bother my Sunday morning with this? But I think it's necessary as we consider the condition of our relationships. About a year after moving back to the United States from living overseas, I found a type of community in, in playing pickup basketball at my local YMCA. Uh, this was back in North Carolina. And I got to know a, a group of guys there playing basketball. I was invited to, to barbecues as well and get-togethers, all of which, boom, ended with the pandemic, right? With the pandemic and a lockdown, you can't be playing basketball and running into people and breathing heavily on top of each other. At the same time as basketball, Katie and I were part of a small group at our church with like lives. Boom, ended. And we remember when things kind of were shut down. I didn't think too much about those relationships coming to a close because we were living kind of near to Katie's family, and both of us are close to her family, and we're close to both sides of our family, and we had some close friends, you know, a few close friends that we could talk to. When I later got to redo, by the way, pick up basketball here in Petaluma, that also halted with the Omicron variant. Remember when that happened as well? And I started to notice well, actually, I thought I'd be fine, but I miss these relationships. I miss these types of things in my life. I didn't feel quite as whole. And then I read something which helped kind of explain, I think, what I was feeling. You, never, you know when you have an aha moment where something is missing in your life and you, you hear something or you read something or you see something and it's like, oh, that's why I'm feeling the way I'm feeling. You know what I mean? So I read this insightful article uh, from Gospel Coalition, and the article was entitled, How COVID Has Affected Our Friendships. And the thesis of this article was something that was addressed and written about prior to the pandemic, because the loneliness was already becoming an issue in America. In fact, in, in 2017, our, the American uh, Surgeon General said that loneliness was the great epidemic of, Amer you know, of the United States. But anyway, this guy, this sociologist named Mark Dunkelman, in 2014, wrote a book called The Vanishing Neighbor, and, and he said that um, relational loss was cemented during the pandemic. It already existed, but it was cemented during the pandemic. Most people have lost what Dunkelman calls middle ring relationships. Middle ring relationships. We have these inner ring relationships which are the most intimate ones, and I mentioned them earlier, right? You have uh, your spouse, your, maybe you have some kids, you you have uh, immediate family, maybe a few close friends, and those are these, these central, these inner ring kind of relationships. Then you have outer ring relationships, which are like uh, co-workers, the occasional neighbor you might see, okay? You don't necessarily have deep conversations with them, but you say hi, you're friendly, you might interact here and there. But what you're missing after the pandemic are these friends we see regularly, like a midweek church Bible study or small group, a, a daily running or cycling group, a reading group, or a, 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 basket, a pickup basketball game. And what's happened is we've replaced these relationships with other things, with uh, uh, parasocial or political relationships. What do I mean by that? Parasocial relationships are relationships we've developed with people who don't even know us through streams, uh, through, through TV shows, through movies, through podcasts, things like that. During the pandemic, 
one of the things that happened was, and research shows this, is, as Americans on average replaced these middle ring kind of relationships with a relationship to a screen. One hour, almost one hour a week, every American added to their life watching a screen, watching a new show, listening to a podcast, doing something different, such that we had these relationships with people we don't even know. A, pod, a podcaster, a YouTube streamer, that sort of thing, right? Okay. Or a lot of people re- replaced these middle ring relationships with political relationships. So, for example, in 2020, people flocked to political rallies. People would go from town to town. They were so popular. And one of the reasons that research behind this, a New York Times columnist uh, did, did, did some interviewing, was people were feeling lonely. And so they flocked to these kinds of relationships as well. So it's hard to re-enter the kinds of relationships I described, like church small groups and Bible studies and these middle ring relationships, because now it takes more effort and time. We're used, we've already filled that space in our lives, and yet we sense their absence. We sense the absence of having those kinds of relationships. It's like the, the cream in an Oreo cookie, right? If you don't have the middle, what do you got, right? You feel less than whole. So last year we started waiting rooms. This Wednesday night thing Warren talked about earlier where we get together and, and we have dinner together and we, we talk about life together and we pray together. And I got to tell you, at times, when I came on Wednesday nights, it was like a discipline for me to eat dinner and try to get to know people again. Why? Because it already replaced those kind of relationships. It was hard to get back into them. That muscle hadn't been exercised in a while. So I want to suggest that community from above, community from above is most likely going to be found in these so-called middle ring relationships, ones that we have lost. For, for such a brief psalm, Psalm 133, it gives us sharp insight into why we shouldn't seek just any community, but community that comes down from God himself, community from above. We're going to find that it's, it's God-dependent, it's attractive, and it's life-giving. That's where we're going to find out from Psalm 133 this morning. Community from above is God-dependent, it's attractive, it's life-giving, and I want to encourage you to consider it for yourself. So for first, community from above is God-dependent. Look at me again in verse 1. Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers and sisters we dwell together in unity. So this song was sung by all of God's people traveling up to Jerusalem at least three times a year, as I mentioned before, to to one of three major feasts that God's people would celebrate together. The year's final feast was something called the Feast of Booths, or the Feast of Tabernacles. The Bible talks most about what community looked like when it came to this feast. It it talked a lot about community together when it came to, to the Feast of the Tabernacles. It commemorated, this one did, uh, the gleaning of the harvest. When all the harvest was brought in and people were going to get to eat everything they they, they brought together. And God's people, what they would do is they would go up to Jerusalem to celebrate this. And when they went up, they would actually put together these makeshift tents to help God's people remember how far they had come. They once lived in makeshift tents in the desert until God's people gave them a permanent land with fields that yielded fruit and a crop to call their own. And it would be seven days up in Jerusalem, makeshift tents, camping together with family. All right, just imagine that for yourself. Seven days, 
You're not even in a, in a permanent tent and may fall apart in the middle of the night with family. Now think about your family, how it is or it was very difficult to travel together and be together just for seven days, right? Now let's multiply that by the fact that you're all camping together now in a makeshift tent. Multiply that by the fact that it's one thing to go with your family, but extended families in Israel would come together as clans. And your clan would then make up your tribe. And you would travel with your tribe all the way up to Jerusalem until all the tribes came together to form one nation camping together. All together at the giant KOA, right, in, in Jerusalem. Different smells, <laughs> different, uh, different habits, various degrees of cleanliness, various levels of rowdiness. And why are people still talking after 10 p.m.? We're not supposed to do that. We were told, right, all together in one place. And everyone is commanded by God at this feast to rejoice before the Lord your God, to be altogether joyful. Imagine how difficult this is going to be. I hope you feel overwhelmed. Certainly these people did. These travelers are remarking here in Psalm 133 that it's truly rare, it's truly wonderful, it's truly good and pleasant when we are together dwelling, feasting, rejoicing together in unity. God is the reason they're gathering. And it's him and him alone who can bond the, all these different kinds of people coming from all over the place together for seven days in a way that would make them rejoice when they, got, when they did it. Jesus famously chose 12 of his closest friends. He chose them. Individually, he chose them very purposely. These 12 people who would be closer with him, they'd spent all these waking moments with him for three years, every waking moment. Among them, he chose a, a scrappy, blue-collar fisherman, a, a kind of mama's boy. He would choose a man who knew he would betray him. But I want to focus specifically real quick on Simon the Zealot and Matthew the tax collector. Now, it's interesting. Zealots, like Simon was, hated the Roman government. Remember God's people at this time under Jesus? They were under the Roman government at the time and hate, hated them. And, and such that they believed the only way to restore God's kingdom was going to be violence against that Roman government. So much so that the zealots would eventually, they would engage in guerrilla warfare against their Roman overlords. You have someone like Simon on the one hand, then you have someone like Matthew on the other, a tax collector, who were the well-known well sellouts to the Roman government. Matthew was a Jew who not only served the Roman government, but they were, were well-known tax collectors like him to take a, an extra cut of money over and above what they were supposed to collect to kind of pocket it for themselves. And in this way, sort of betrayed their own people. They said, not only am I going to take money from you, I'm going to take a little extra for myself. That's who Matthew is. And Jesus invites them both into one family for three years. He invited, he invited together natural enemies, by definition and by name, together into one family. And yet, for all these pages in the, in the Gospels and Jesus' biography about his life, we never hear one word about it in all those pages. And it's not as if those friends didn't get in arguments. They did. For whatever reason, we don't hear them get in arguments about the government, about politics. Interesting. Last week, we saw in Psalm 132, we talked about self-forgetful joy that comes from God's presence, that only God's presence can, can fill our soul and give us that kind of self-forgetful, wonderful joy 
When instead, we, too often we think on, worry over, pursue all these two small objects that can never, can never really fill the space in our souls that's meant for God himself. Well, Jesus creates community where those two small things get marginalized, right? Your former job as a tax collector, your desire to see the Jewish people rise up again against the Roman government. Jesus creates community where all those two small things just get gradually pushed to the margins. Those things decrease, and he increases in their life. Does that make sense? So, so practically speaking, community from above in which Jesus is increasingly bigger and we increasingly depend on him, that's going to increase the likelihood that you fill your souls with God himself, that he gets bigger in your life, and all those other things gets pushed to the margins. And friends, you're just not going to get this if the only people with whom you relate are those that are kind of like you, or that are mostly like you, with whom you you share all these interests and common things, and you kind of get Jesus in as an add-on. Community from above is going to be different kinds of people. It's going to be God-dependent. He's going to be the one to bond us together. Community from above is also, we learn in this psalm, attractive. It's attractive because it's rare. Look with me in verse 2. It is like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. So the base oil used to set apart priests like Aaron for service in the temple was olive oil. And so they would be anointed when they began their service with a base olive oil. And it's chosen for a few reasons, one of which is that to the common eye, olive, the olive tree itself is rare. A few years ago, my, my father and uh, my sister and I got to visit Israel together. And one of the coolest trips I've ever taken, and it was really neat to do that with these dear people in my life. And one place we got to visit was the Mount of Olives, right, right, right uh, outside of Jerusalem. Now, most of these olive trees, because it's a tourist site now, are manicured, right? Like there's... It's not going to look like it used to look. But most olive trees in reality are like this one, which grow out of rocky soil or even out of a rock itself. And that, to to an ancient Israelite, it, it was a beautiful picture. It was oil from such a tree represented a kind of rare, overcoming all odds kind of life, right? Because you don't normally plant something in a rock. But here's this, this tree coming out of a rock. And so it represented something beautiful and rare, over, overcoming all odds. And com- community that comes from above is rare to people. It's attractive in that way. At, at a church where I used to pastor, uh, I had a Sunday where I wasn't preaching. So I went back to, to our children's church. And it kind of like a, it was a Sunday with the pastor in children's church, and it was kind of fun to do. And so the person normally led that morning had me do a Q&A with the kids, so the kids could ask any question about the Bible or God or whatever. And so one of, the, one of, the girl, one of these little girls, just a cute little girl, asked, said, Pastor, did, did God create us because otherwise he'd be lonely without us and, and he wanted to share his love? I said, you know what, that's a great question. And I said, half of that is true. He did want to share with us his love, but he was never lonely. So I got to explain to her that that God is actually one, but he expresses himself in three different persons. 
Father, Son, and Spirit. And so he's always lived in this sort of this, this self-giving, other-loving, other-honoring community. I told her to think of it like a big party in which one person's always standing up, raising a glass, singing a song to, saying something nice about the other person. And then when the other, that person sits down, the other person gets up, raises the glass, and says something loving and sings a song to that person and honors them. And, then, and this is always what's happening in this community. And here's the wonderful thing. God wanted to invite more people into that community, so he created human beings to share in that love and that joy with God the Father, Son, and God the Spirit. And then God the Son came down with an invitation specifically to you and to me to join. He came with that specific invitation. And she said, wow, that's even better than I thought it was. I was like, yeah, yeah, you, you get it. You get it. It's even better than you thought. It, it, and I told her, you know, it's not rare that we include God in our community, but it's rare that he would include us in his. That's what's rare. You and me? are the unlikely friends to God. We're the unlikely friends that he invites into his community. We're the rarity. And he wants us to imitate him by including unlikely friends in our life, in our community. So my friend uh, Mike Avery, here this morning, uh, Mike's a new friend who recently joined our church. Mike played and loves college basketball. I don't mind saying that. We've watched a couple different kinds of games together. Mike is someone I'd probably befriend even if Jesus wasn't part of our life, uh, but be, be just so, simply because of basketball. I love basketball. I love playing. I love watching it. I would probably bring Jesus into our friendship sort of from the side as an add-on, right? With nothing wrong with that. There was nothing wrong with that unless all my friendships were like that, where I had to find something in common with you, right? And, and that's why we were friends. I recently met a really neat woman in our church who, who hosts shooting competitions on horseback, all right? I've never even heard of such a thing, to be honest with you. So I, had to, I was curious, so I asked her a little bit about it. And thankfully, people don't get on horseback at the same time and shoot. And, and even thankfully, they don't get on horseback at the same time and shoot at one another. But I had to ask these clarifying questions because I had no idea about this idea. I, I, I was thought there was something reserved for like old-time wars and things like that and battles. Well, who do I see yucking it up with her one Sunday after the service, but someone with a similar affinity? A, a, a person, a guy in our church who is pretty reserved otherwise, but because he has some similar interests right there, he, go, he starts yucking it up. I'll say, oh, wow, he's, he's talking with her, which is great. It's great to, to develop friendships where you have similar things in common, unless that's the only kinds of friendships you have. Here's my point. Community from above is the type to which people point to and say, wow, these people are could only be friends because of God. They can only be, like, we have to have friendships where Jesus is the center and we couldn't be friends without Jesus. We have to have those kind of friendships too. And actually, friends, that I've found that those are the most wonderful kinds of friendships. Those are the ones you learn from the most. Those are the ones you're surprised by the most. Those are the ones you, you laugh at the most because you're, you're so surprised that you and this person are able to laugh together. Our mission, guys, as a church is to befriend people in our community so they may hear good, good news about Jesus. In most cases, that's going to be people who are different from you and from me. If we can't relate to people who are different from you and from me in the church, how are we ever going to relate to people outside of it if we can't do it together? 
That's why I heartily encourage you to participate in waiting rooms on Wednesday nights. We have fams to reach outside of our community, waiting rooms to begin community amongst one another. Waiting rooms on Wednesday nights, the only venue in our church, the only venue in our church aimed at developing friendships around Jesus and no other affinity, no other thing in common, where we have different genders, different ages, different interests, different personalities, all coming together to eat together, to sing together, to learn together, to pray together, all in 90 minutes' time every week. Those are these kind of middle ring from above, kinds of relationships that I think God wants to call us back into or into for the first time. And by the way, that kind of community attracts people. They see it and think, wow, that's different. It's like a beautiful fragrance. You know those beautiful fragrances you sometimes smell wafting out of a, a, a mall in the store, or out of a store in the mall? You go to a mall, I haven't been to a mall in a while, but remember those days when you go to a mall and you, you, you smell something from far away? Did you know that people can remember a smell with 65% accuracy for up to a year? Visual recall is just 50% for only three months. But smell, 65% to up to a year. I, I did some research this week, and apparently mall retailers use this data to their advantage to, to create a particular kind of scent to waft out of their store so that people can smell it when they're visiting a mall, right? And it keeps them in their stores for longer. So they'll buy stuff, right? Stuff they don't need, right? And that's the whole prospect of malls and capitalism and all that. Anyway, I'll get into that. Anyway, I swear, by the way, this is the only reason that Bath & Body Works still exists. This store, Bath & that has lasted as long as it has. This is a company, by the way, a mall-based company, company valued at over eight billion dollars that's totally dedicated to lotions and candles. Eight billion dollars of lotions and candles, but they had that smell. The last time I went to a mall, there were like 50 people in Bath and Body Works. I'm like, why are they all there? It's because of the smell. They love the smell. It's a great smell. <laughs> it's attractive. Our psalmist is saying community from above is attractive. Oil running down from a priest like Aaron's head and then his beard, etc., and his clothing, it consisted, it was a special oil. It was, it was olive oil, but in that oil, it consisted of myrrh, sugar, cinnamon, and cassia wood. Doesn't that sound like a best-selling candle from Bath & Body Works? Right? You can see it, right? This is our special myrrh, sugar, cinnamon, cassia wood. It's, it, it's, it sounds like a Bath, Bath & Body Works candle that you would buy. But this is what God, and it's interesting, it was actually trademarked in the Bible. God said, you cannot produce another oil like this with these ingredients. It was literally trademarked in the Bible. That's what God's people would smell, wafting from God's temple as different, different peoples, different clans, different families would gather together there. They would, they would come together because of this smell. What the psalmist is saying is community from above, it's like that. It gives off that scent. We're attracted to it. People, people are attracted to community from above because it smells like something bigger, something grander, unlike what they're used to in life. Not getting together because of our day-to-day -day troubles or worries or, or we're not getting together over lesser, lesser things. 
even with regard to important matters in life, like, like matters of justice and mercy for those who traditionally get none, we've seen that there are limits to those efforts. You can only spend your life so much on those efforts and see so much fruit, and that there is a hero who will ultimately right all the wrongs in this world, and it's to him that we turn in these relationships. That person is Jesus. And friends, it smells different to people. It looks different. That's because it is different and is attractive. Community from above. And finally, we see from his psalm that community from above, it is life-giving. Read with me again here in verse 3. It is like the dew of Hermon, which, which falls on the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord has commanded blessing, life forevermore. Mount Hermon is the largest mountain in Israel. From May to October, virtually no precipitation falls in Jerusalem, even in the form of dew. And we know this feeling as Californians, right? <laughs> Maybe we don't get anything. An estimated 30% of our water supply, like with Mount Hermon, comes down to us from the Sierra Mountains. The Sierra Mountain Range, right, in our winter and spring months, it comes down, it flows in the Russian River and other rivers. And then, though, from, from, from May to October, that, that period, just like now, we basically get nada in terms of precipitation. Well, the moisture months in Jerusalem, the, sorry, the no moisture months in Jerusalem, were the months where most of these feasts took place, like the Feast of the Tabernacles. So they're going up and seeing this psalm, this image, they see no moisture around them, right? And they're not getting any rain. They see things start to dry up in Jerusalem, which, by the way, Israel looks a lot like Petaluma. I'm not even kidding you. When we pulled up to Petaluma, I was like, man, this looks so much like Galilee. It's incredible. But anyway, that's another story. But you, but you, can, you can put that in your mind as you're walking through the hills that we see out here. And they're walking through the hills, and they're seeing lots of brown around them. But they're singing this song about the dew falling on and bringing life. What it communicates to them is that even as water grows scarce, community from above is still life-giving. Still life-giving. It, being together, unifying around me, the Lord, with people whom you normally wouldn't choose on your own, that brings life to you. So when we read that the Lord has commanded blessing, life forevermore. The reference is to Zion in the, in the line before. Zion on which Jerusalem is built, it, it housed the temple, it housed the ark of, of the Lord, it housed this wooden, that wooden ark, the place where God has chosen to dwell. And like I said last week, Oh, God used to choose a wooden box for his presence. A Jesus follower named Paul later compares you and me to that ark. He compares you and me to big clay vessels or watering jars. He rests his presence now on frail, imperfect people like you and like me. These big clay watering jars used to collect water uh, put, put in my mind the image of someone walking home from a well with this big jug of water coming back to their house from the community, the community well. They're bringing it back to their house, big jug of water on their head. As they bumble and stumble home, water spills, right, as they're walking back to their house in this ancient world. They're walking back to their house from the well, and the water is spilling on the ground. But as it spills on the ground, what happens? Grass grows from there. Vegetation grows from there. Life grows from there. When we get together and we, and we bump into each other as vessels of God's Spirit, we are spilling life-giving water onto one another. And it produces life 
And that is the image, ultimately, I think, that verse 3 translates into in our life where these bumbling, stumbling images of vessels of water, and we bump into each other. We spell life onto each other. I want to close with this. The article I mentioned before about middle ring relationships included these notes from a Harvard professor named Robert Putnam who researched the correlation he found between religious affiliation and altruistic behavior, by which I mean giving, volunteering, serving people outside your religious group, returning an item to the store you didn't pay for. What he found was that people who were religious were more likely to do those sorts of things, to give, to be involved in charities, to volunteer, to return an item to the store. And he asked the question, why is that the case? Why are religious people, in his words, kinder, more selfless neighbors to their community? Because that was, in fact, the case. And in the end, he found that only one factor consistently correlated to dynamic neighborliness, to being a good neighbor. One factor, and that was personal relationships within the church. Personal relationships within the church. People with their strongest relationships in the church are the kindest, most selfless to those outside the church. Here's how Putnam put it, quote, church friends matter a lot, but even beyond that fact, I love the way he put this, church friends seem supercharged for community impact. See, friend, you can be the, that dew of Hermon that falls on the life of others. Friend, you can be life-giving, but only to the extent that you seek community that comes from above. Let's pray. Father, I know that I have felt the loss of certain kinds of relationships. And I sense that that loss is something that many of us have felt, that maybe with the pandemic or other factors in our lives, we just don't have those kinds of consistent week-to-week relationships with people who, can, who are maybe different than us. But because of God, we can bring life. We can bumble and stumble into each other and spill this life-giving water that you've designed for us to have and how good and pleasant that's supposed to be. And not only just how good and pleasant to one another is it, it's good and pleasant to the world around us. They see it and it's attractive. They see that this is something different, that these are friendships that are based around a greater life than just common interests, similar sports teams or political affiliations or hobbies or that sort of thing. It's, it's around something greater than that and grander than that. God, may we have that kind of community in our church and God help each of us participate in that kind of community. It's a community that you invite us into, Lord Jesus, Father, Son, Spirit, and now one another. Help us join in. It's in your name we pray. Amen.